0: welcome back to the foul balls podcast for april 9th 2018 and a lot of interesting decisions to make on this slate because we have a course field game so that's always expensive then there's a bunch of high-end pitchers so it's kind of a situation where i think you're going to be making lineups and probably making the decision of what's the opportunity cost of playing the expensive pitchers and that would be not rostering course field and then The opportunity cost of course, Field is not using the guys at the top, who are Justin Verlander, Noah Syndergaard, and Max Scherzer. So of those three expensive guys, Matt, who is your favorite target?
1: Well, I definitely like Syndergaard the most, and I definitely don't like Verlander at all. So it's Syndergaard closely followed by Scherzer, and I think the gap is mostly just the small price difference. Uh, I think they're pretty similar quality pitchers, The Marlins are worse than the Braves, but Syndergaard is on the road and Scherzer's at home. Um, I lean Syndergaard. I'll probably use him a lot more because he's cheaper, and I think we will have a salary crunch for this slate uh, and 0% exposure to Verlander. Do you think it's the same for you, mostly Syndergaard, some Scherzer, or are you you thinking not using Scherzer at all?
0: So as of now, I think I probably won't use Scherzer at all, and it'll just be Syndergaard, uh, mostly because I don't think I'm going to play a ton of lineups for this slate. So... I I do have a strong lean towards Syndergaard just because I think that the Marlins are a much more favorable matchup than the Nationals are that. And also that Miami does play as a pitcher's park. So that aids Syndergaard a little bit for tomorrow's slate. Although I am totally on board with you for Justin Verlander's price, 11,700. He's in the same neighborhood as Scherzer and Syndergaard. And I think that both of them are better pitchers, a lot more strikeouts for them, some more upside. So I'm, I'm, much, uh, much prefer those guys, and I'm way out on Verlander. The next tier of pitchers, uh, we have Zach Oddly, 9,800, half 85, Bundy, 81, John Gray, 79. I think that Bundy and Gray are both pretty interesting targets. Uh, I'm curious what you think about John Gray pitching at home at Coors Field. Are you off him at all because it's Coors Field, or do you think it's okay because of a matchup against the Padres? What's your take on him? Because right now I like him a decent amount, and he actually hasn't pitched that poorly at Coors Field in his career.
1: Well, we talked about this last start when he was in San Diego. His ERA has been much lower at Coors Field, but his uh, peripherals have been much worse. Um, So I'm just pulling that up quickly. But just uh, looking at it on the surface, I think I'll probably have a little bit of gray exposure. I think I might like him less than you do by a decent amount. Um, but I'm not fading him. Like, I think he's good enough and cheap enough where even at chorus Field, he's worth considering. Um, I prefer Dylan Bundy in that price tier also, which could have me uh, lower on John Gray. But just to pull up the numbers, Gray had a 313 ERA at home last year, 406 on the road. But at home, he only struck out 7.5 batters per nine and walked three per nine on the road. He was 11.2 Ks and 1.7 walks. Um, so the peripherals were, actually, that is... a. Uh, that is his lefty-righty splits. Okay, home and away, not as severe there. 8Ks per nine at home, 2.5 walks per nine. And then uh, on the road, 10Ks per nine and 2.4 walks per nine. Um, not as not as big of a gap as his lefty-righty splits. But he is much better on the road, and it makes sense because of course field. Uh, his home numbers still leave him with a 335 FIP and a 350 XFIP. Um, so he was a little bit lucky with his ZRA at home, and he was very unlucky with his ZRA on the road. And I guess if we're just isolating his home production, that's still pretty solid. Um, It's still, I think, very good, actually, overall. So I'm fine with Gray. I still prefer Bundy. Um, But I think, well, there's one cheaper pitcher that I like more than both of them. So I'm going to say that Gray is either my fourth or fifth highest owned pitcher for the slate. And I think I probably will use about five. Um, So I'm, I'm squeezing him in there, but I don't think he is the greatest play.
0: And then any other of these pitchers in this tier that you like? Uh, Just John Gray and Dylan Bundy?
1: Yeah, no interest in Godley just because he's almost in that high-end tier. I think Hap is a little too expensive, even though it is an okay matchup for him against the Orioles, who aren't that good offensively and do strike out a decent amount. Um, So it's Gray and Bundy. I guess if we're including Mikolas and Junis in the same tier, then I think those guys on a normal slate would be worth looking at. Um, but there are a lot of pitching choices on this slate, so I, I think it's fine to overlook uh, Miles McCollis and uh, Jacob Junis. They're okay. I think they're maybe priced just a little bit too low, but no interest in them just because there are better choices, especially uh, Garrett Richards, who we'll get to, who's actually cheaper than both of them. So how how do you think your exposure will break down when it comes to Bundy, Gray, and Richards? Because I guess those are the three that you're on also. Yeah,
0: so for me, I think my most common pitching combination is going to be Noah Sindergaard and Garrett Richards. And then Bundy, probably my third eye stone pitcher, and John Gray, my fourth. And as of right now, I don't think I'm going to have exposure to any other pitchers. Uh, Bundy's just been so good so far this year, which is kind of a carryover to last year where he was kind of maybe almost like replacement level the first half of the season. And then came on really strong towards the end of the year. To start this year, only two starts, 13 innings, but a .69 ERA, 1.46 FIP, striking out over 10 hitters per nine, uh, walking only two guys per nine innings. The swing strike rate is all the way up to 16.7%. So Dylan Bundy, a a former uh, top draft pick, who was also a top prospect. I I think that it looks like he's becoming that top end starter that he could have, that people thought he was going to be before he got injured. So... That's not to say that he's for sure going to be that pitcher, but the upside's there that he could be a legitimate ace. So I think that makes him very worthy of rostering. Uh, I think that Garrett Richards, for his price, is the best value on the slate, despite a tough matchup in Texas. So to me, he is the primary target, and I, I think that's how you're leaning also. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think I will be pretty spread out, though, because um, I well, it'll, it'll make more sense when we talk about offense, because I think there's a cheaper offense that I'll have more of than you will. Uh, and because of that, I think... I'll fit Scherzer in with Syndergaard, which is going to lower the exposure to everyone else. Uh, but I still do think that Richards will be the pitcher I roster the second most after Noah Syndergaard. Uh, before we move to offense, though, there is no Vegas line for a reference point for the Angels. Um, but we do have one for, well, for every other game. But there's significant line movement on the Blue Jays against Bundy. And it looks like it's completely public bias. So the 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 Blue Jays open as plus 115 underdogs, and the line is almost pick them for that game now. Uh, But the public is on the Toronto side, at least so far. Uh, For whatever reason, the public has just been very heavy Blue Jays to start the season. Um, They had a couple really strong games early on. Uh, They were good on Sunday. They destroyed Cole Hamels. So I don't know. This is just, for whatever reason, some teams just become public favorites and people just bet them and then they get high high ownership for DFS. Um, I'm not sure how much that'll impact Bundy's ownership, but I do think that the Blue Jays could have some ownership on offense. Uh, not a ton, but enough maybe to just keep Bundy's ownership from being anything that significant. So if I said Bundy would be in the teens for ownership, do you think that's reasonable, or do you think it'll be higher than that?
0: It's pretty hard to say because there's so many games on this slate. Uh, I, I think that I think that's a reasonable guess, though. Uh, I, I find it hard to predict ownership when there's like a 10-game slate just because it ends up being really spread around. But I think... The highest-owned pitcher will probably be Noah Syndergaard, but it's it's not enough for me to alter how I'm going about rostering the pitchers. Like, are you looking at the ownership for somebody like Bundy, and is that going to impact how you're rostering any of these guys?
1: Well, if I think that Richards would be the second-highest-owned pitcher, and then Bundy and Gray would be much lower than that, um, so I guess what I'm thinking, just to put rough numbers on it, Richards could be, like, 35% owned. Maybe Syndergaard is in the high 30s, so Richards would be number two. Uh, and then if Bundy and Gray are like ten to fifteen percent, there's just a lot more tournament leverage having those two guys as opposed to Richards. So I'm just sort of thinking of having more of Bundy and Gray relative to Garrett Richards um, because they'll probably both have lower ownership than Richards does.
0: Yeah, I mean for me, well for one, I I think it's I think Richards is such a good value, and it's so hard to figure out what the ownership is. Obvi- prior to lock, it's, it's very easy to find out after lock. But pr- prior to lock, the ownership is very difficult to figure out. In certain spots, there's like some really obvious value plays. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Richards in the 30% owned. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in the teens. So I don't feel confident enough in what he's going to be owned for it to alter how I'm going to go about making my lineups because I just think he's a really good value.
1: Yeah, one of the problems that we get into sometimes when we try to make plays based on ownership, when we try to make our picks based on what uh, the players are going to be owned or what we think they'll be owned, is that if we guess wrong on the ownership, then we basically changed our direction for just no reason at all. Um, but I do feel pretty confident that Richards will be popular. Um, pitchers have been popular against Texas all year, at least to, to start the year. Um, and Richards was pretty chalky and was good in his last start. So I don't see him having low ownership, but I do think there's enough value there where I definitely want to be overweight to Richards, but I also want to be overweight to probably everyone else that we've mentioned already.
0: All right, so let's move into the offenses. Right away, I don't really think we need to touch on it too much because a a Coors game always has some obvious effects. There's a ton of runs that could be scored in Colorado. Uh, Clayton Richards pitching against the Rockies. The Rockies are a pretty weak offense against righties, but they hit lefties really, really well. Uh, Nolan Aronado had a 220 WRC plus against lefties last year. Trevor Story destroys left-handed pitching, and he sucks against right-handed pitching. So he's always a really strong play whenever there's a lefty on the mound. Uh, we have uh, uh, what was uh, Blackman has a back injury, so he sat out today's game. He had to leave a game early two nights ago. So I, I think this kind of makes an itch- interesting situation for Blackman because he is really, really expensive. And for the price, I would prefer to roster like Arenado or Harper if I was picking which expensive guy I want to put into a plug with, with these players. But if we don't find out Blackman's status until really late in the day, this could be a situation where you can make rocky stacks with Blackman having very minimal ownership if he's like questionable heading into lock or something like that. And with late swap for baseball, it's not that hard to pivot off somebody. So this is a situation where I would look at ownership and impact my decision because I, I would want to have more Blackman if we don't find out that he's playing until really late in the day. Do you do you think that that makes sense?
1: Well, yeah, I do. But the problem with it is that the scheduled time for this game is 8.40. Um, the Nationals game is 7 o'clock. So it, if we don't know Blackman's status before 7, then you can't pivot back to Harper because the Nationals games will, will have already started. Um, but you could pivot from Blackman to Mike Trout, who's in Texas against Doug Fister. So I, I do think it's worth taking shots on Blackman. That, that definitely makes sense. I don't think he'll have a ton of ownership because it's also a left-handed pitcher. Um, Blackman hits lefty spine, especially in cores, uh, kind of just only in cores, which is the case for most of the things that we'll say about the Rockies. So I think Blackman makes sense. I think Rockies' stacks overall are okay. Um, the price is just so high, and the Padres do have some relievers that are decent. Um, it's a pretty deep bullpen. So it's not one of these bad teams where the relievers are just as bad as the starters. Um, The Padres did limit the Astros pretty well over the weekend, and part of it is because they have a good bullpen. Um, So I do think the Rockies should be the highest scoring offense on the slate, but I don't think I'll stack them very much. Uh, Part of the reason that they're so good against lefties is because Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story are so good against lefties. So I'm going to have a lot of those two. uh, But for the rest of the team, I think I'll probably want to be underweight to the field on them. Um, So very heavy Arenado and Story exposure. I think they make for really good plugs if you're going with a cheap offense. But I think I'll only have, I don't know, 10 to 20% of my lineups as full Rocky stacks. Uh, And those ones would have Charlie Blackman. So, if well, what do do you think the expected output changes with Blackman out? Like they become cheaper, but the run production goes down. So like, how would you change your outlook on team stacks with Blackman in or out?
0: Yeah, so with Blackman out, I think the issue is they become difficult to stack just because there aren't a lot of individual players I like. So I'm kind of with you in terms of if Blackman's out and we know that early, then it's going to be mostly just rostering Arenado and Story mixed in with stacks of other teams. So I think that we probably stand pretty similar on that. Um, There is one cheap offense that you brought up before we started that I also think is a really good spot. So what do you like about the Cincinnati Reds tomorrow?
1: Well, the thing I like the most is their prices, but Ben Lively is bad. Um, I don't have his stats up in front of me because you caught me off guard a little throwing my own pick back to me, so I'll quickly get Ben Lively's stats up. But he was a fairly highly regarded prospect. He had decent minor league numbers, um, a little overrated, and did not perform well uh, in his first stint last year. Only 5.3 Ks per nine last season as a rookie. Um, and Lively also was much better at lower levels in the minors, like at... At low A, he was, I guess, not a lot of innings. In high A, he had 11 Ks per nine, his first full minor league season. And then the strikeouts just started going downhill as he progressed through the minors. Um, And yeah, that manifested with a very low strikeout rate last year. He gives up a lot of fly balls. Um, Philadelphia is, I think, a slight hitter's park. It's pretty neutral, but the wind is expected to be blowing out a little bit. Um, Lively's velocity was also a little bit down on opening day and he doesn't throw that hard to begin with. Uh, he dropped from like 91 and a half to about 91. So I think we're just looking at a bad pitcher. The Phillies have an okay bullpen, but this is a plus matchup for the Reds and they cost almost nothing partially because, uh, Eugenio Suarez is hurt right now. I think he's supposed to miss the game. He got injured on Sunday. Um, he's day to day. Oh, you know what? He's not day to day. He's a fractured thumb, so he yeah, is not playing.
0: Right. He's going to the, he's going on the DL.
1: Yeah, no Suarez. So it's it's a downgrade, expected output, but against a righty, I mean Suarez is good. He's not he's not a complete game changer. So then, if we're just looking at everyone else, Votto at forty two hundred against a bad pitcher, a bad right handed pitcher is just way too cheap for him. And then everyone else on the Reds is thirty two hundred or less. Um, so this is just an insanely cheap offense, and you can fit them. Not easily, but you can fit them with both Scherzer and Syndergaard. And I, I think that that's a pretty decent strategy. I think it'll be a very unpopular strategy. Like, I think Votto could have some have some decent ownership as a plug, but I think red stacks will not be a trendy pick for this slate. So uh, low ownership, low prices, good matchup, and everything sets up well for for them, I think. Votto as a plug in other lineups, but I think stacks here make a lot of sense.
0: Uh, I just want to bring up one other player who's one of my favorite plugs on the slate. The Nationals tomorrow play against Julio Terran, who was awful last year and started the year really terribly this year, and his velocity has gone down even farther from what it was last year. Matt Adams is only 3000 The rest of the Nationals are really expensive. Adams is also really flexible because he has first base and outfield eligibility. So only 3000 for Adams in the middle of a lineup where everybody else is kind of priced like mid-4,000s, even up into Bryce Harper in the high 5,000s. And then Adam Eaton is also in the 5,000s. Matt Adams, I think, is a really strong play at 3,000.
1: He has to be starting, though. Adams doesn't play every day. He actually, he's been mostly a pinch hitter except when Ryan Zimmerman rests. And Zimmerman was out Sunday night. So I agree with you if Adams plays, but I would say it's probably not that likely that he's actually in the lineup.
0: Yeah, that's, that is also a possibility. Uh,
1: but, but he's my favorite but, value play, too, if he's in there.
0: He does play more against righties than lefties, though.
1: Yeah, it, it could. Maybe they rest Howie Kendrick or something and move some guys around. I don't know. If, if he's in there, I do like him, too. We'll just have to see. Um, and I do like the Reds' as plugs a lot, too, even outside of Votto. Uh, Adams would be better than them if he's playing. But I think, like, for Rocky stacks, I would have no problem putting, like, Scooter Jeanette or uh, Adam Duval or anyone else who's batting near the top of the lineup. Jesse Winker, um, maybe Billy Hamilton, but only if he's leading off because Hamilton's been batting ninth when him and Winker both play because Hamilton is just bad at hitting. So he would have to be batting first for that stolen base upside for the extra at-bats. Otherwise, I'm not considering him.
0: Uh, So I think one other team that would be worth – I think there's a lot of offense in really good spots. Uh, I'm just trying to narrow down the stacks. The other one that I think would be worth stacking – is the Angels, who are playing in Texas against Doug Pfister. Uh, for the Angels, another player who's a little bit underpriced, Justin Upton all the way down to 4100 That's a bit of a ridiculous price for him. It's just way too cheap. And the same with Cole Calhoun at 3300 Uh Overall, I, I think that the Angels are in a pretty good spot tomorrow to stack in a, in a good park upgrade for them.
1: Yeah, I think I will probably not have too many stacks of them because, well, I think the Reds will be the team I stack the most then the Rockies, and then I would stack the Angels some, but I do like them a lot for plugs. Like Cole Calhoun, one of the better value plays, Upton also, Um, and if you can pay up for a hitter. I do think it's worth talking about the potential upside of having Trout instead of Harper. Uh, I think this was the exact same pitching matchup for, well, not for both hitters, but five days ago, the Nationals played against Julio Terran, and I think I had said it was either a YouTube show or the podcast the night before that I liked Trout as a pivot off Harper because Harper has these ridiculous BVP splits against Julio Teron and people like that for some reason. So I was talking about pivoting off Harper for Trout as the expensive plug and Harper hit a home run that day, I'm pretty sure, or scored a lot of points somehow. But I do think Trout could be half the ownership of Harper or less. Do you think that's possible or is it just so random with ownership that it's not even worth considering and just use both guys because it's a good spot for both.
0: I think they'll both be pretty popular tomorrow. Um, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that either one of them is going to have like a ridiculous ownership number. Uh, but I think both of them will be fairly popular choices relative to other outfielders.
1: Yeah. I think Blackman could be the pivot actually, because he's facing the lefty and it may not be known if he's playing until pretty close to lock or maybe after lock. So if I was guessing the ownership for those three guys, I think Harper and Trout and then Blackman third, which is strange because he's at home for a course game. But I think for all the reasons we said, Blackman actually could be sort of contrarian.
0: Okay. Do you have any other stacks or teams that you want to talk about before we finish this up?
1: Um, well, I had originally, I think you had to looked at the Astros against Lance Lynn because Lance Lynn is really bad. Um, but most of why Lance Lynn is bad is because of his righty lefty splits And the Astros are a predominantly right-handed offense. Uh, One thing that could change, though, is that George Springer left today's game with an injury. So if Derek Fisher and Josh Reddick are hitting up in the batting order, then I think both of those guys are good plugs. Um, Springer being out also lowers the expected output for the Astros. So I don't think I love this stack. Uh, But Marvin Gonzalez, too, is a switch hitter. I think Astros lefties are strong targets. They're not very pricey. Redick is climbing still. 4,200 is probably a little low for him. But 3,900 for Marwin, 3,400 for McCann, and then Fisher all the way down at 3,000. I think I like those guys. And then that's probably it. I don't think there are any other offenses. We've we've covered a lot of different players, so that, that probably wraps it up, unless you want to talk about the Diamondbacks. But I think that that's probably just going to miss the cut for both of us.
0: Yeah, it's a good spot for the Diamondbacks. Uh, they are playing against the Giants, so it's a big pitchers park. But Derek Collins pitching, and he's just awful. So I, I think that it's a good spot for them. I could see them scoring runs. It's always a possibility. But just the issue I have is is the park downgrade for them. And I just think there's other teams I expect a little bit more from. Uh, that is going to finish today's podcast. Follow me on Twitter, JarenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense. We'll be back for Tuesday slate.